Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 31. My guest today is Wee Lay. Wee Lay is an up-and-coming stand-up comedian bringing American-style stand-up to Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. He is the leader of the comedy group Saigon Tao and is distinguished by his calm comedy style. Super smart, funny guy. Here we go. Hey, we lay. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, man. Thanks so much for coming on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, it's super trippy. Now, I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan. Mm. I've been watching it for years and years and years. I think I have a pretty discriminating taste for comedy. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. And you're the first Vietnamese comedian I've ever seen. And I know that it's just not a thing here per se. I mean, I know slapstick, silly comedy mm -hmm. stuff is popular here. A lot of funny sound effects and yeah. people acting goofy. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing in Thailand. It's another place where there's just not stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. So when you were presented to me and I caught your material, I was pleasantly surprised at how good you are, honestly. <laughs> and I'm so happy to have this departure from the typical kind of guests that we have on the show. But I was so stoked that we got a stand-up comedian on the show. And then you're like discovering plutonium. I mean, who sees Vietnamese stand-up comedians delivering in English? So, I mean, that's a super rare treat. And, and again, we're, we're super happy to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. I know. I I think uh, I I wouldn't be thinking about having a career in comedy. Only the last two years did I start having like a career in comedy in Vietnamese and for Vietnamese people. Even though I've been doing stand up in English for like uh, six years, and and it's very different. Like you said, uh, the Vietnamese scene of comedy is mostly comprised of very situational comedy or you know very slapsticky sound effect stuff but it's, it's changing a little bit but it's still very um what's the word um situational and box in this layer of like um augmented reality i would say it's not too realistic most of the right. time so right. for us as stand-up comedians and you've seen a lot of comedy you know that we can't have barriers and sensors and stuff like that so it's right. been weird to wrestle with that and slowly transferring to a place where you have to do comedy and also explaining to people what you're doing <laughs> well you're a pioneer dude and i use that term with hi-ha today because you're going into an area that is fairly undiscovered and super mm -hmm. fresh and this is a relatively conservative group of people that you're dealing with here and you're you're bringing up a lot of subjects that are even in the news right now, uh, <laughs> a little bit taboo. So I applaud you for your bravery on a multitude <laughs> of levels for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I think comedy is really critical for people to take a look at certain information that normally they wouldn't take a look at. And for you to make fun of yourself, which is the key to comedy, is self-deprivation, of course. And you're becoming, I can see, a master at tearing your own self apart, while at the same time calling yourself a thin Asian genius. <laughs> I think it's a yeah. very funny way to open your show, brother, by yeah. setting the standards very high. What I want to ask you is, first, what was the quintessential thing 
that at some point in your life made you even consider the idea of going in this uncharted territory? Um, okay, so first of all, it's very personal.、Uh, I, I started doing comedy six years ago only because I was at that phase. You know, you were going around doing extracurricular activities and finding things to like fill in your CV because you don't have actual work experience.、Uh, so I started with a, a workshop for stand-up comedy, and then I I just kept doing it. You know, I just kept writing. I did shows, and people wanted me to do comedy. Petitions and I did them, and then it just one thing that led to another. And after like three or four years, I realized I'm doing it. <laughs> But the problem is, it it's not、um, because I did、uh, English comedy first, and Vietnam is a country where I only did it in the expat circles, and people wouldn't really know what I've been doing <laughs> with my life. I mean, my parents don't know what I was doing at the comedy clubs, and、um, it it was only a hobby. Uh, so up until recently, which is two years ago, like right at the cups of COVID happening,、uh, I was planning to do shows in Singapore and Thailand, you know, just to to start going in places.、Uh, but that didn't happen, <laughs> obviously. And then I thought about doing it in Vietnamese, which is. You know, you would think of it, and you would be like, "No, that that's not gonna work," <laughs> because it's too different. But I I met friends from my group Segundo.、Uh, they they all wanted to do. You know, they all started in English, but they all wanted to start doing it in Vietnamese. So we just started pulling together as a group and thinking about how do we bring this art form to you know the Vietnam community, even though there's so much like. Differences culturally and the way people perceive things, and when I started, it it was just normal. We were doing shows in cafes, like that one of our friends owned, and then people just came for drinks, and then oh, they're talking about something, so let's listen. And after a while, with social media, luckily, I mean. I, I wouldn't say luckily because of COVID, but you know, during COVID, a lot of people didn't have a lot of stuff to watch, and I think that was one of the the thing that happened. Like one of the videos got viral-ish, and then it one thing led to another. We started getting shows. We started getting a lot of people to our cafe shows. And then we needed to start selling tickets. We need to start to make a channel and do things. And after a year, I realized, oh, this is happening. This is uncharted territory, but it's happening, and there is a need for it. People do want to listen to stand-up comedy. They just don't know what it is yet. So that's when I started to get really serious about planning how to kind of go into this territory and trying everything out and learning in the process to bring a new art form to Vietnamese people.、Uh, so far, I think we have some successes in bringing it to the younger crowd. But I think our next challenge is to kind of officiate ourselves to be a part of the Vietnamese comedy scene, because right now it's still a very niche kind of field. I think a lot of people still don't really understand what we're doing, <laughs> because it's so strange to them. It's not conventional comparing to like the, the the comedy we see every day on TV. But that's our biggest challenge and kind of my personal challenge that I want to tackle for the next years. All right, let's talk about you growing up. 
must have undergone some trauma to decide to go. <laughs> I mean, there's no um, question. Pain equals comedy. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about growing up. What was your life like? Okay, so we say、uh, comedy is tragedy plus time, right? <laughs> so I've always been a very reserved person. I'm a, like an introvert, and I love writing. I've always loved writing, but I never thought that I would be, you know, on stage talking about things and convincing people to listen to me. So one of the biggest change that、um, I went through as a stand-up comedian is there was a, a point in my career where. I did a comedy set to basically like come out <laughs>、uh, as a member of the LGBT community, and that was something that I, I, it took me a long time to be okay with myself. You know, being from uh, not too, uh, but but they're also you know my parents are also a bit they're open, but they're still raised in the conservative kind of zone,、uh, and I've had. A really long time to feel okay with myself and learn about okay, this is sexuality and this is whatever. And when I was okay with myself, I still didn't want to talk about it、uh, to anyone. And as a stand-up comedian, when I did it in English, I was talking about those things, but to a crowd of expats. <laughs> nobody really knows me, and nobody like I. I have nothing to to be afraid of, but. Going into Vietnamese, my mother tongue, and knowing that the people who listen to this material is the people that I know,、uh, people that will have something to say, and my family and my extended family will start knowing what I do and who I am. It was kind of scary, <laughs> but I think it was one of the best decision I've ever made because it definitely made me a more authentic comedian.、Uh, so I talked about. That I talked about my trauma. I've talked about you know all of the things that were in my head and all of the、uh, all of the very weird ways that society would see you and put you in boxes and make you feel a certain way about yourself. So that took a long time, but I think comedy helped me cope with those you know past traumas and whatever. And now I'm. I'm okay. <laughs> I think、yeah. I'm fine because I, I I've dealt with those things and I've talked about them and I've I've made people laugh and also made people think about it. And there are a lot of good responses that I've received from people who who resonate with the message and who feels like yeah I'm the same way too. But it's good that we can laugh about it. Yeah. Right. Right. You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives, presented by Balance. You've chosen a very noble career. Number one, I think it's one of the bravest career moves anyone can make because, I mean, until you are established and people come to see you, when you go to comedy clubs, no one's there to see you, man.、Mm. You're you're going up there cold, and、uh, that audience might be a little drunk. They might not be interested in you just from a pure physical <laughs> standpoint of looking at you, and you have to continue to deliver that content, knowing you could bomb、uh, and, and be good with that,、uh, yeah. be good with failing, and and hope you know the laughs are the the medicine、uh, that you want to get out of the shows, but that doesn't always happen. I want to talk a little bit about that. Give me an idea of your worst show ever. I feel like there's a couple. <laughs> So like one for example, I went to、uh, I think K 
Cambodia a couple of years back, and I remember I went into this room where people were basically in in bean bags. You know, they were like half asleep, and there were like uh, 20 people in the room, and they were all like sitting in their bean bags, half asleep. And I remember I took the stage, and after five minutes, I swear I could have heard somebody yawning. Or no, I think someone was snoring. Snoring, <laughs> yeah. And I was, oh god. But as a comedian, you have to keep going, and you right. have to be like, this is, this is fun. <laughs> I'm not depressed. <laughs> and then I didn't bomb uh, at this particular event, but um, I went to a competition in Bangkok uh, like three years ago. And uh, I, I got into the finals, luckily. But when I got into the finals, I had to decide uh, my position in the lineup, you know, because it's a competition. So the person who ranked first got to choose first, and then the person who ranked second, and then third, and then I I ranked nine, I think, <laughs> of the top ten. So when it was my turn, there was only two slots left. The first slot is the first slot, and you know that's like hell. That's of like course. you're gonna die if you go first in a competition because it's so much pressure, and also you're gonna be compared with all the other ten acts like later. And then the second spot is the eighth spot, which is after the seventh spot, which is the spot that the person who ranked first place chose. <laughs> Mm. From last yeah. night, so I didn't want to go first, so I I took the eighth spot, knowing that oh god, I'm gonna have to follow somebody who's like crazy good. So the night happened, and I went on stage and I perform, and midway into my performance, I was doing a bit about bullying, you know, being bullied as a as a kid. But it was funny. It's, there's nothing traumatic about that. It was just fun. I, I I said stuff about I used to have uneven legs, so it took me years to stop walking in a <laughs> like that bit, and I forgot my punchline. Uh, <laughs> I forgot it for I don't know what felt like a year, but it was probably like 15 seconds of silence. And because I was doing a bit on bullying, I think people thought that I was getting emotional. <laughs> and don't know that whole silence was me trying to like. Okay, what the next punchline? Because when you do a competition, your set has to be super tight. You know, it has to be like punchline, punchline, punchline. Everything is, and everything is connected to the next. So I was like, crap! I, I don't know. My face was just like this, and people were just like, oh no, he's gonna cry. <laughs> So afterwards, I decided, okay, I'm not gonna remember that punchline. I'm gonna go to the other bit and then get it finished and whatever. I'm I'm tired. I'm done. I get downstage. You know, the the MC who's my friend, uh, he showed me the phone with the timer. I was allowed to have 10 minutes, like sharp, like no extra minute because I would get deducted from the scores. The the time that I got off stage was. Nine minutes, fifty-nine seconds, and ninety-nine wow. like cents. Wow. Like, wow. so I did not expect anything. I I went back downstage and I was like almost crying. I was like, oh, I messed it up. This is horrible. I'm a bad comedian. I I can. And then I heard my name and I got second place. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> So, so I was on this like roller coaster of emotion because everyone looked at me and it's like, oh, you got second place, and my face was like this. Uh, yeah, uh, 
Did you guys know I I messed up? No. So uh, you still haven't even told me a bonafide bomb yet. You still, I know. You haven't bombed I, it, yet. It felt it felt like a big bomb. You for internally me. bombed. Yeah, like internally, internally I, I bombed. Bomb. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. I, I don't think I have ever externally bombed too bad. Like people were not booing me off stage. Right. I don't think that ever happened to me. It just happened where you know you know corporate gigs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are more like the bombs I would get. Like I would okay. get into this big ballroom, and then everyone was on different tables, and then whenever I said a punchline, the people would say "more pie by you," which is oh. like the toast to cheer. <laughs> that probably is my version of bombing. But um, internally, mostly I bomb. But I don't think. Because Vietnamese people are very nice, also. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What about? I mean, I would, I would find it odd to, to hear a Vietnamese heckler. Of course, yeah. Have you ever been heckled by a, a Vietnamese person? Most of the time, it would more be like enthusiastic playing with kind of heckling. So, so they would be like, I would say something like, "Oh, that's funny," and then I also have this, you know, <laughs> like. That's the, the very loving kind of but heckling. But that's innocent heckling. That's not yeah, intentional yeah. heckling. Yeah. The only time that I got intentionally heckled was uh, there was one time. It is in an English show that I I I said something I can't remember, but I said a word, and there was this guy in the audience that corrected my pronunciation for it, and you know I was like, okay, thank you, but then he said the next thing he said was like, I'm an English teacher. So you, as a comedian, you have to take that, right? So what I said next was, um, uh, "Xin chào bạn có khỏe không?" <laughs> okay, repeat after me. "Xin chào bạn có khỏe không?" Because I'm a Vietnamese teacher. <laughs> so, so that was, I think that was the most kind of weirdest uh, heckling that I've got, which is still very mild compared to my um, colleagues who had a lot of stories about heckling, especially when people are drunk. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that shows some skills when you can deal with people that are wasted and don't care, but you mm-hmm. can you can put them in their place. You can embarrass them enough in an intelligent way where the audience, the rest of the audience, totally supports you. Yeah, um, I think that shows real balls. If you will. Yeah, like and and that's really that's part of the craft too. Is not just being able to craft these jokes and punchlines, but when things happen that you. Like you can do what you got to do and still hold your audience. You don't want to lose their respect, but you haven't really been challenged in that way yet. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah. People for for me, like the Vietnamese crowd, are usually super nice, and they're actually afraid to participate most of the time. We have to try to get them to participate. Uh, and for the English crowds that I've been in. Uh, I've seen some of those cases, but most of the time in those shows, it didn't happen to me, because the material that I do is usually very personal. I think a lot of people who take the route of being very topical, talking about stuff that is happening with the world, for example, usually controversial stuff is where all of those heckling things can happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the the words that you would get is like you're not funny. <laughs> Right. And then that—that's another thing to deal with. Luckily, I, I don't have to deal with that yet. But <laughs> let's talk about you getting started. Do you remember your first joke you wrote? The first joke that I wrote was um, a line that I didn't think was a joke because I was so uh, insecure about going in a comedy club. That was like back. 
back then it was like in Bui Vin where a lot of expats were there and every comedians were older than me in my perspective have you know this style <laughs> they right. have the coolness they can smoke weed i guess <laughs> right. and i'm just a student i'm a very fresh-faced student who would be perceived as you know not knowing a lot about life being socially not awkward and whatever so the first line that i wrote when i entered the stage was uh i don't get along with the comedians here because i don't smoke i don't do drink i don't do drugs and i still have a future i didn't write that as a LOL joke, you know, I, I just thought it's like uh, it's something to just get people to expect less of me as a comedian. But I, I remember that was the first time I got like really big laughs and then nothing else afterwards because my first set was like, it's very bad. Can I say shit? <laughs> okay, say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was really bad. I, I think that the biggest laugh that I get in my first set was that line and the moment when I said, Cunt. <laughs> you can flip that out. Uh, when I said cunt, uh, only because people were like, oh, this student said something bad. <laughs> that's right. it. Oh, I got nothing from it. And that's weird, but it also felt really good because I never thought of myself as the person who can write something and then stand on stage and say it and get people to laugh. So right. I think that was the experience that kept me going back to it. Yeah. Well, I think that that joke which it is, uh, <laughs> is going to endear you to the world of other comedians because uh-huh. it's very funny. And even as me, as I consider myself a relatively funny guy, I thought mm-hmm. that was an excellent icebreaker joke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Especially if you have other comedians in the audience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which so in they Vietnam were... is pretty impossible, I would say. <laughs> now now I think it's better, at least now in, in the Vietnamese scene of comedy, I, I have my friends in my troupe. They, they are very good and they are very different and I'm super proud of them. And I hope that it's going to become, you know, a, a trend soon because I think a lot of other younger people are trying to do this. But of course, this is very different from the the old ways of comedy so there is a learning curve yeah right for me it's also the same me it's like the learning curve of adapting from english comedy and that vibe where people come to a comedy show knowing what to expect to the vietnamese crowd where people coming to the show because oh i want to check it out but i don't know what it is (laughs) yeah what's been kind of the feedback that you get when you do the show in vietnamese how are you being perceived after the show and are people like coming up to you afterwards do you make yourself available to check in with people and be sweet and kind and available yeah the feedback has been i guess amazing because first of all we we got so many followers and subscribers over the the past year and i know that's only social media but um Yeah, there are meaningful interactions because people would chat up with you, people would meet you, people would talk to you. And the the feedback I get a lot is, I didn't know this could happen. You know, I didn't think because I've seen comedy in English and I don't think it would happen in Vietnamese. But when I see you guys do it, it actually makes sense. And it's good. 
It's different, good. Like it's not the same thing as I expected in English. So most of the people would tell me that, and for the people who have no idea what stand up is, it's still a very like splitting thing. You know, people either love it or hate it. Right. A lot of people are still、um, in their minds. Comedy is still, you know, the things that they're seeing on TV and. Watch some other. They say, "Oh, this is something new. This is something that is different." And I, I guess I can get used to this. Yeah. The reason I say it's brave, it's also truth-telling, storytelling. It's very personal.、Mm. Uh, you're talking about things that are close to the vest for a lot of people, and a lot of people don't think a lot of things are funny. <laughs>、uh, but、yeah. of course, everything is funny. There isn't anything. I mean, even Mel Brooks said the only thing that was off the table for him is like the Holocaust. But Larry David, even opening、yeah. Saturday Night Live on a monologue, talking about the Holocaust. You know about that、oh、bit、God. that he did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I、and、think I, I've seen it. And it was very funny. It's a very funny bit. But what was funny was how he set it up. How he set it up was he was talking、mm. about the Me Too movement, and he was embarrassed because a lot of the men who were caught up in the Me Too movement who got busted were Jews. <laughs> so he was making himself out to be like the good Jew. I would never do such a thing. And then he delivers a Holocaust joke. So、yeah. that to me was like an incredible setup for. And he, that's intentional. I mean, this guy is super smart. He knew exactly what he was doing.、Hmm. But the fact that Lorne Michaels allowed him to do that in a monologue, even to me, shows the power of comedy. Like、yeah. people can get away with a lot more through that art form than maybe anything. Yeah, yeah, and that's the for me. That's the importance of comedy that I think comedians would feel, but for a lot of audience member, they they don't really see it. Like I still get the feedback from Vietnamese people because I try to in my comedy in Vietnamese put some perspective. For example, I've talked about you know sexism before. I've talked about、uh, a little bit of discrimination. I've also talked about topics that I don't think a lot of people seen. In Vietnamese comedy, and usually there will be a feedback that is like, "Oh, comedy is comedy. Why are you talking about those stuff?" But as a comedian, we know that it's necessary because、um, comedy is basically like, for me, like a ground zero of morals and everything. It, it gives you the chance to ask these questions, and everyone have.、Um, Like weird thoughts, or we say shower thoughts, or something. Everyone have thoughts that they not saying, but they have those thoughts, and it could be perceived as evil or bad or something. But we need to be acknowledging that those thoughts exist, and that's the only way for us to not、um, jump to any conclusions and going to our own conclusions about morals and ideas and what our values are. So that's a very necessary process to go through, and that's why I want comedy to be more than just you know, oh somebody slipping on a banana peel or whatever, right. Right. because that's funny too. Like for me, I、sure. still laugh at a lot of the slap slapstick jokes, and I still laugh at a lot of. Jokes that are more、um, common, and it's funny. Sometimes we need a, a romantic comedy for a weekend. We don't need to think too much. But sometimes we also could engage in this conversation with comedy, where we think about stuff that actually matters. Yeah.、Right. So, so that's what I try to do in my comedy now. You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives, presented by Balance. 
And what you're doing too is you're making people feel like they're not alone. When you talk about things that we're all going through, but we don't think that's the case, you're actually opening the doors for people so they feel connected, so they don't feel like they're the only ones who are fucked up in the head. <laughs> everybody, sure. everybody is. We're all thinking these thoughts, but you know, when you don't communicate a lot with people and you shove things down inside, and you know, there's also not a lot of talk about mental illness in Vietnam mm, and Southeast sure, Asia sure. in general. So there's not a lot of these conversations. There's not a lot of this topic that you bring up, and maybe that's going to open some doors because that's really critical too. Is that there are these conversations about mental illness, about our feelings, about morals, about racism, about sexism. And that strengthens your society. You're actually giving people an opportunity to do an examination that perhaps, even though it's uncomfortable in the moment when they're listening to you, it's planting seeds. So as you know, peripheral as people think stand-up comedy is, these are the historians and the truth tellers that decided to get on stage instead of writing books or <laughs> being silent. You guys are the sayers of the word. And it's really important because one, no comedian is dumb. Comedians are very smart people. <laughs> yeah. Comedians are very sophisticated people. It's a really high level of intelligence going on in the comedy world. You can't be dumb. You have to be smart to hold people's attention for 10 minutes to two hours. Mm. I mean, that's a, it's a big deal, especially when they're, they're paying hundreds of dollars to see someone like a Chris Rock or a yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, you know, you have to be a smart guy who can craft some pretty amazing material. And I want to talk to you about your, your crafting your material. Do you write every day? Do you write jokes every day? Uh, yes, I would. So, so I would have these two different uh, process of writing. You know, the first process is free writing. So I would just note down a lot of stuff that are not even you know it's so fractured it just ideas bits and pieces everywhere and i would do that every day uh, so for example i'm riding the bike home or something but something pops up then i would pause and i would get my phone and then note some words on it that might not even make sense later uh, so that's the, the the first phase of that process and then there are times where I would accumulate all of that material, like the raw material, and I would sit down and I would make sense of it. Uh, so making sense of it, meaning I would rewrite it into setups and punchline. I would start having different versions of them. Uh, and I would start questioning myself, like, why do I think this is funny? Because it could be very weird or like nonsense but if i thought that it would be funny then there are people out there who might find it funny because the thing about you know comedy is i i, I tell this a lot to a lot of my friends who said oh if you're a comedian you're naturally funny you were born that way you have this sense of humor and then people like me can't do it i i would say if you can laugh you can be a comedian <laughs> if you can laugh <laughs> because being able to laugh is being able to recognize something funny in that situation. Of course, our recognition is very different, you know, people to people. So the difference between a person and a comedian is a comedian learns the skill to translate whatever they think is funny 
to a bigger crowd of people who might have different mindsets, but they can, you know, through the translation, get to that point and see, oh, that's why this is funny, and I get it. Yeah. So, so that crafting process is more me trying to translate whatever is weird and funny and awkward in my head to the bigger crowd of people. And of course, some ideas might be more like niche than others. You know, <laughs> there are funny ideas that. Only a few can relate to. Like for example, if I talk about mental wellness, then a lot of people who hasn't had that experience might not be able to relate. But you will have to try your best to translate that material into as much of understandable experience to the widest kind of group for me uh, to to be successful. Yeah. Right. That must be an interesting exercise in itself to try and convey. Some kind of an idea around something that people are not completely familiar with, but put it in context of some kind of an experience that they can understand it on some basic level, yeah. uh, and then make a joke out of that, create comedy, because comedy is informational. I mean, it's really you know, it's like it's going to school, man. You're learning not yeah. <laughs> only about the comedian, but you're learning about certain aspects of life that you maybe didn't think of because everybody's perspective is a little bit different. And you're delivering something that's personal yet more generic. You're trying to make it relatable to everybody because we're all living on the planet together. We are all experiencing a lot of the same things, but we are having an individual, unique experience that's different than everybody else's 100%. Yeah. How have you taken your personal life and shared that in a way where people can feel who you are? But at the same time, they can maybe see a bit of themselves in your life. Um, I I think first of all, you have to be. I I wouldn't say brave, but uh, I I would say authenticity is very difficult. You know, especially like me. I think uh, I would speak for a lot of the. Asian community, <laughs> because um, I, we all know it's an Asian insight that we are more, we tend to be more reserved than others, and tend to be more prone to being affected by external judgment. Uh, I mean, my mom is someone who's taught me to be very careful with whatever you do, whatever you say, because people might see you at this way and that way. And it took me a long time to kind of. Find the compromises, and then realizing why am I, what am I doing? Like I can just be myself, and if you're not okay with it, that's fine. Uh, so it it already took a long time from going there to being an authentic person. Then um, I realize you are not that unique. <laughs> you know, um, whatever you have experienced, then. A lot of other people might have experienced it, so I try to talk to as many people as possible uh, in my work, in my daily life, uh, because I do want to start understanding people. Because if you want to translate whatever you think to other people, you need to be understanding them. Okay, this is weird, but I I recently wrote a joke that I don't think would work, and. It worked better than I expected when I did a show in uh, in Hanoi and in Ho Chi Minh recently. Uh, English joke. Um, this might get me in trouble if I translate it into Vietnamese because it's different. But uh, I wrote a joke about suicide. <laughs> 
because because two things. Um, first of all, I don't believe in being dark. You know, for the sake of being dark. You know, I know there are comedians like that, but for me, whenever I do a joke, I I do want to have a point, and like you said, to represent myself in a way that people understand me and where I'm coming from. So I wrote a joke uh, saying that it's, um, you know, I know it's not funny to joke about suicide, but <laughs> but. Uh, I think what's funny is the way a lot of people use inspirational quotes to talk to suicidal people. Like I don't think it helps to uh, reach out to someone who is suicidal and saying "hang in there," or you know, you need to look, learn to look on like look on the bright side. <laughs> And what's brighter than the light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, tell them to be like, um, when life closes a door, it will open a window. Uh, to yeah. So I I I, I had that idea and I, I yeah. wrote that down and I tested at the shows. I thought it wouldn't work because you know that was a time when the, the the climate of mental health and there were a lot of cases. But I really cared about that. I really care about let's not give people very toxic, positive kind of advices because you don't really know them, you don't understand them. So when I did those jokes, it it got laughs, and actually there were a few people who came to me afterwards because uh, after the show because of that joke and saying like, oh, you know that, I know that, we know that together, right? You know that those people. And I feel like yeah, this is still a human experience. And, and I, of course, I feel like I need to craft it a little bit better. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like there will be a time where every joke. I don't think uh, there's a comedian only need to find out how to make that joke as funny as possible. But like you said, everything can be funny. Yeah. Well, uh, I just read an article today about a music artist who wrote some song about a troubled youth and suicide, and it's mm. been banned all over Vietnam. Mm, uh, yes, like in a big way, the the, the artist got fined like three thousand USD, and mm -hmm. not only was it taken off all of the Vietnamese-related YouTube sites, but uh, people who have looked for this uh, YouTube video cannot find it anywhere. I mean, yeah. it's been eradicated. Yeah. So, such a touchy subject, uh, and again, when. When a society has not come to terms with mental illness and talking about it open and freely, uh, it can come as a threat. Another gentleman who's been on the show, Mark Pickering, uh, he talks about New Zealand, uh, where uh, suicide has gone off the rails. The mm. numbers have just gone out of control, and you know the country is doing a lot about drinking and driving and doing a lot of campaigns about that. But they're kind of sweeping this other really critical subject under the rug, and. Uh, And that problem is only getting worse in the world. It's not getting better. I mean, yes, some things in the world are definitely getting better, but um, the human condition is is getting a lot more challenging, and we're yeah. not addressing it. And I know that stand-up comedy is one of these art forms where you know guys like even Louis C.K. who will talk about rape in ways that no other comedian has ever <laughs> joked about rape, and It's funny. I mean, I think he's one of the funniest comedians yeah. ever. And then look at his life. Look what happened to him. Yeah. And the reality of the non-funny part of life 
Uh, speaking of the Me Too movement, yeah. uh, Dave Chappelle, who's been caught up with uh, the trans movement and all the mm-hmm. problems he's had with Netflix. And so there's an interesting, you're coming into this industry at a very interesting time where there's a lot of truth that is seeping through the comedy that is breaking some of it down, creating a point of contention, if you will. Yeah. How do you feel about that now? You know, I mean, you're coming into the world of comedy at a very strange time. You used to be able to say anything at any time. I mean, this is not Lenny Bruce where he'd get arrested every night for saying cunt or whatever he would say on stage, but we're at this more unique time of human consciousness where we're afraid to say certain things. People are a little more heightened in their sensitivity because of all the stuff going on in the world. How does that inform you when you're writing a joke and how far you're willing to go uh, to communicate with the audience? So, you know, for me, this has been a really um, big topic in my mind for the past year, and it's it's cancel culture, you know. It's uh, basically a lot of the things that you... Like, we we know that, for example, the recent thing happening with Chris Rock and, you know, the slap, you know, or... I call it, we will rock you, but... (laughs) But, um, yeah, and, and that thing you were saying about, you know, an artist performing a song about suicide and that gets uh, I it's really hard to say we can you know divide art and um, you know life because it's art is informed by life you know and sometimes life is informed by art also for me my my personal way of tackling that is to be very aware uh, to be very aware of whatever subject that I'm taking so for example if i wanted to joke about rape right if i wanted to it can't just be me thinking oh that would be fun right it can't just be you know coming from my own ego of like oh it would be so edgy that i did this like i don't think that's fair because if i wanted to convince anyone that something is funny or something is right then i need to be doing my research from all of the different I, I would need to look at the left and the right and the middle of it and, and every other size of it so I, I would take that exercise first before thinking is it worth doing a joke and of course I, I for me I, I'm personally informed by whatever I want to say also so if I want to say that oh I believe in this then I, I better have proof and uh, it has to be funny <laughs> because right. that's my job. And, right. and I, 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 would, I would take that exercise first to be very informed about the topic because sometimes I cannot... I, I've seen a lot of comedians, like for example, Sarah Silverman is one of the comedians I really like because of the way that she is so weird about everything. And she, I remember she, she did a, a charity show and she talked about adopting kids from Africa or something as a joke. And I, I used to think that was so crazy this woman can do all of that and later uh, now in her career when I heard her you know I, I was listening to her podcast and she was saying there are so many jokes that she did back then that now she kind of regrets yeah. she does yeah yeah because yeah. because you know she has to accept that you know uh, the, the political climate and everything around and 
you know, I don't want to hurt people, but it ended up hurting people in a way that I did not expect. So even though I will not say that, you know, I intended to do it, but I still have to accept the the repercussions of it, and I will. I I should be making things right with those. Groups of people who felt attacked by it or something, yeah. So I I think it's a fair conversation to have. And as a comedian, uh, I think I need to be taking the risk uh, after a lot of research right. to minimize the risk. But I still want if I still think it's a risk worth taking because it's worth saying something, then I would still say it. And then if something happens, then I would be very willing to have that conversation. I I did a joke back then um, about uh, abortions <laughs> uh, in Vietnamese, which is you know. <laughs> wow, that's really big. Yeah, no, because I I was telling a story about playing The Sims, you know, the, the game, the simulation, simulated game as a kid, and I played that, and there was this one time where my character, a, a boy. Uh, he looked at the telescope for too long because I wanted him to get that skill to become an astronaut, Asian. <laughs> so he got abducted by an alien, and when he got back down, he was pregnant. And then he he was pregnant. He was pregnant. You know, yes. the game is so messed up for 13 year olds to play, but that happened. And then I saw that, and I saw my character, who I characterize as myself, giving birth to a green baby. And I was so shocked, and I said, "Oh, now I understand why people have abortions." Oh. <laughs> and and that line, you know, for me, it's you know, it's it's. Okay, I think it's funny in 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 the context and in yeah, that story, and it's all like simulated. But there was this lady who came to a show, and she was pissed. <laughs> she was pissed. She said she she didn't confront me there, but she went back home, and she sent me uh like you know four pages of messages on my page saying like you shouldn't be saying that you're not a woman you don't own a woman's body you don't know what is it so bad to like, kill a baby and stuff like that and and I I talked to her I talked to her I said I'm sorry that you feel this way but look at here's what I believe and here's what I said I said that I think it should be an option I think that I understand if someone would consider that coming from my point of view as a character who did not want to have a baby and was not ready in the first place, and and we had that conversation for like half an hour, and then afterwards she said, "Okay, I don't agree with you, but I respect whatever you're saying because you have a point." And I think this is the most beautiful moment in my career, you know, being able to talk to someone about a joke that is meant to, you know, spark a conversation in peaceful head, and actually having that conversation and not agreeing at the end, but actually we we understand more of the the, the opposite size of people, and I I think that should that that's what comedy should be, you know, it should be the 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 thought starter that. People would start thinking about all of these ideas, all of these morals, all of these philosophies, and just be okay with we might think differently, but we're all humans after all. Yeah. That sounds like a comedy Nirvana moment, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hit, 
I mean, you know, you can have success and money and, and, and being able to play all over the world and all this other stuff, but I think in that moment you achieved the pinnacle of what comedy is about, which is just connecting people together, giving them something that's thought-provoking and promoting conversation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy with how that turned out. Yeah. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. All right, now there's a cliche that every comedian's childhood has been super traumatic and that's one of the reasons that they went into comedy. Like there was a, a, obviously a lot of difficulty and complexity. Jerry Seinfeld used to say that that is not true, it's a cliche, until in one interview, he revealed that his mother never said I love you to him. And it broke, it really, it broke my heart to know that he would create this lie all these years to protect himself. And then accidentally revealed this in, I think he revealed it in Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee oh. with one of his co-stars from Seinfeld, a, a guest uh, actress who knew him. They were very close friends. I think this was unexpected. They were sharing a meal and he, she asked him a question and he, and I was like dumbfounded because I mean, I've been watching Jerry since the beginning and every aspect of his life. So it was so profound for me to know that I, I keyed into remembering that he said that that was a cliche and not true. And then for him to admit that in fact, that little thing that he happened to reveal is a huge thing for him. Yeah. Can, without being overly specific, do you think that things in your life early on informed you as a child to maybe separate? And I mean, he used to go in the bathroom with a hairbrush as a microphone and, <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't, and he used to perform for his family, but you know, he doesn't like to be around people all that much. And he's, you know, he's really this, not cynical, but you know, he's kind of an asshole, honestly. <laughs> uh, uh, but I like him. I mean, I, I love his, his way of delivering the truth and his, uh, his comedic skills are obviously at the, at the top of the comedy game. But do you think that you were informed early on that maybe through your experiences, this was a way, especially as an introvert, because most comedians are introverts who've yeah. decided to work out their demons on stage. <laughs> sure. and, and that's why I say it's brave also, because most of these people are doing something that's completely against the grain of common sense for them, even, mm. to get on stage. I, I'm gonna imagine that's similar for you, that in some ways, you would never have thought early on that you would stand in front of a room full of people and, and talk yeah. to them as you do. I think uh, because I'm I'm actually pretty open with whatever past experience I've had uh, because I think what's lucky for me is I gravitated towards psychology very early in my life uh, because I, it's lucky that I know English so I have big access to information I, I already learned about like psychological concepts as a as a kid in uh, high school I started learning about those stuff for my my sake and for myself and depression and anxiety and stuff uh, so that that was better for me so the things that I dealt with that I know is first of all I dealt with bullying uh, as a kid and that made me you know when I uh, exited uh, junior high school where I was dealing with the worst bullying I wanted to change and I went to high school thinking, okay, if I put on this face, if I joked at myself, 
you know, if I were the funny one, the the class clown, then I already made the jokes before, so people are not gonna make jokes about me, you know. Right. And and that started as a defense mechanism. I know now. <laughs> right. I, I think that was my biggest defense mechanism. Uh, entering high school, I enter uh, a very good high school. It was like high school for the gifted, like for the good kids or whatever. I was not one of them <laughs> because my study, like I I I was so busy. Learning jokes every day. I I learned jokes from you know magazines and whatever because I wanted to say those jokes to the kids and make them like me or you know joke about myself so that I don't feel so bad. And I think that affected my you know younger years a lot because I didn't have time to actually study <laughs> or didn't have that focus either. And as I entered uh, university life. Um, That that's when I started to look back and realize, oh, those experiences were traumatizing. You know, being in a family with three other uh, siblings made me uh, very aware of all the different comparisons that, that people, you know, like that kid is the the funny one, that kid is the pretty one, like this little kid is the nerdy one. I don't know. Uh, that was my first kind of trauma that I dealt with. And I realized in my university, and then I started dealing with all of the different things. Oh, I'm a people pleaser. Oh, I'm a this person, that person. Uh, it took a lot of times to uh, unravel, but I think because I was equipped with you know a little bit of knowledge in like psychology, it became clear to me that. Oh, now I need to be dealing with these demons. <laughs> yeah, and when I started doing stand-up, I was not uh, a person who would do authentic jokes. I was a I was a writer, so I started writing whatever I think people found funny. So, for example, I went to clubs and say, "Oh, that person did a joke about 9/11, so 9/11 might be funny." So I, <laughs> I remember I did a, a bunch of jokes about stuff that honestly I didn't even care about. I didn't even know. I'm not American, so why? What? What made me think that I was entitled to saying these things? But because I I started as a writer, I just wrote those things, and it got laughs, and people started to see me as you know the little students that came and that might shock you with jokes that are so bad and edgy and weird. And after three years or four years. I was successful with that too, you know, because I I think I was a, an okay writer, so those jokes got me places with being in uh, the awards and stuff. But at the fourth year, I started to realize, um, like, what am I saying <laughs> as a comedian? What am I saying? I can't write those jokes, and people can see me as that kid with the sharp jokes. But is that it? You know, is that me? Is that what I want to say? Is that the conversation I want to contribute to the world? And I think that's when I started to gravitate towards finding the authenticity within, the authenticity within, <laughs> and and 
talking about stuff that I care about, and that was when I started doing bits about the time that I was bullied as a student. I started doing bits about uh, my bad dreams as a kid, or um, I started doing jokes about my struggle with uh, my own terms of sexuality and stuff. And that for me is comedy. Like now, I feel like that is comedy. I I now am a comedian. When I say those things, I'm not a joke teller anymore, because I can write all those jokes and I can give it to someone, and they can just read right. it out loud and laugh, right. or read it out loud to a crowd, and then they would become the the comedian. But I don't think you're you're not putting yourself out there, and that's the biggest lesson I've learned from my trauma, <laughs> that 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 informed me and that helped me. Um, Build my my sense of self till now. Yeah, yeah. I think the best comedians have the ability to have that vulnerability and uh, and go beyond that and share things that are shocking sometimes about themselves. But that puts a, an audience at ease to know that they're being authentic. I, I think that word authenticity is really critical. Uh, you know, the Hindus think that life is just a play. And we're all wearing masks, and and those masks represent uh, degrees of authenticity that we're willing to put forward. And most people don't even know who they are or how to be whoever whomever they are. And and your career, your chosen career, is a representation of getting on stage and being your true self. And and what I'm curious about too is. How that has affected the local LGBT community—that mm. you have publicly come out and been on stage—and mm. uh, I'm curious as to some of your audience, uh, especially when you have done your stand-up in Vietnamese, mm. and if you've included that subject matter, has that community reached out to you? Have you connected more in that area? What has been the repercussions of you being authentic? Uh. Yeah. Um, so I I would say there are you know the good and the bad. So the good is I think somehow because this is what I felt as a person of LGBT community also. Um, in the past, the representation of you know people who are LGBT in the media is always very um, you know very effeminate, very uh, flamboyant. You know, out of the jokes from a lot of the TV shows, and I talked about that already. It's like people would come on stage and being straight people playing into the the gay stereotypes and making fun of themselves because they are all of that colorful, crazy stuff. Uh, secondly. When I took the stage and I informed people that yes, I am gay, I am in the LGBT community, so many people talked to me about, hey, me too, but I don't want to say it because I don't want people think I'm that. Mm. I don't want people think I'm like those people in the the TV shows and stuff like that because that's it's an image, and I then realized it's my mission to tell people that oh. That's a myth, you know. It's not like every person in the LGBT community is gonna be like that. There's gonna be people like me also, and I think the most powerful encouragement I've received is when so many older people, like people in their 40s and 50s, who are moms and dads, I've had people like that talk to me and like, "You've made me feel safe." 
to talk to LGBT people. Because when I see you, you look like someone who's okay to talk to. <laughs> Because the images is so strong of the the media, how the media portrays things. Uh, that they are so scared of oh LGBT people are like very weird, very overly flamboyant people, and I cannot talk to them. And I think that's important. So a part of the LGBT community also they they reach out to me for events and shows because it said oh you are representing a group of people that honestly we we don't see a lot you know people who come from you know that background but nobody can <laughs> so so they, I don't know why but in Vietnamese culture and I think in a lot of culture they would be they would be saying stuff like you look like you're not out. <laughs> You yeah, you're not like, gay enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're not. You're not yeah. gay enough. Yeah, right. and 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 that is actually a really big portion of the the LGBT population that is left out of the conversation. So there are, of course, a lot of other bad stuff too, like people who dislike me for it. People who would say, "Oh, he's not funny. He keeps talking about." Being LGBT, and I would ask them, well, I mean, a straight comedian keeps talking about being straight, so why don't why don't you have a problem with that? Right. You know, a person is just being themselves, and um, I, it it's part of my journey now, and I think it's what I have to learn to kind of navigate. Yeah, because of course, I I think I'm a very well adjusted person psychologically, but. There are days where you would go through the comments on YouTube, and as a normal person, to see like 10 or 20 or a hundred comments that is just hate directed towards you, like it would get to you. Yeah. So I I am really learning to adjust and also learning to to see how can I be more authentic. What can I say so that people can. Understand me in the right way and not have any like wrong beliefs or misconceptions about me. Yeah, I applaud you, man, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And yeah. like I said, I, we've we've never had a stand-up comedian on the show before, and I consider stand-up comedy an art form. It's part of the international creative community. It is an authentic expression. And again, I have a high standard. Of appreciation of comedy, and I love your material. I think you deliver really well. It's very heartfelt. It's very honest. It looks very effortless, as stand-up comedy is supposed to be. And uh, and I hope that you start really infiltrating the Vietnamese community and showing them that it's okay to be you and to be them, and that it becomes normal here. To see a stand-up comedian and go out on a Friday night and you know have a drink and a laugh and learn something, not only about the world but maybe about themselves. Yeah. Okay. And thank you so much. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.